Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? I'm well, Justin. How are you? I'm good. I had to dust off the microphone. It's been so long, but I am rared and ready to go. Kirby, when I look over the potential topics, I you must be filled with fear because it seems like about 80% of the content is in some way related to Formula One. Well, uh, somehow I figured we'd get there on this show. Which might have to do with uh, just the fact that that season's still going on, where IndyCar is over. Um, but it also has to do with some other things, where the rampaging rumor that Andretti is going to buy the Alfa Romeo F1 team. You ripping paper, Curb? Just shuffling through my notes, that's all. Wow, that's uh, that's very noisy. Sorry. Um, it's all right. It's not distracting at all. I, I don't know where to start, but I think where we should start is with the, the red-hot rumor. Andretti is going to buy the Alfa Romeo F1 team, and that is going to happen imminently, and that uh, he will put Colton Herta into the second driver's position at that team next year. It's a fascinating uh, rumor, and it looks like there's some degree of truth to it. While we don't tend to dig into the work of others on this show, uh, it did prompt an article, which I don't feel like I can let go, if you know what I mean, Curb. So let's start with the acquisition rumored as it may be. What do you rate the odds that Michael Andretti is actually going to buy the controlling interest in the Sauber team? 80-20 high, 80-20 to the positive. And do they go to Coda this coming weekend? They do. I would think it's something so complex that we're probably going to probably going to go past the end of the year. The big question here is is the moolah, you know, and if he can come up with the moolah. Sure. The financial future probably looks better than the financial past for, for the Sauber. Yeah, and it's not only the moolah; it's it's the argument that I'm sure Sauber is making that the future is extremely bright. The rule changes will be great for them it will move them up the the grid formula one's on a roll and and then the, so the revenue sharing from the television contracts can be huge so it's all good obviously the owners of formula one liberty media will be nothing but encouraging of this as well right this is a free ride for them this is their wet dream mm-hmm. i'm sure they could probably be whispering something in michael andretti's ear hey kid We'll make it worth your while if you get it bought. But again, you know, these deals are never done till they're done. And an article was written on it. An open letter. An open letter by an esteemed so-called IndyCar journalist. And while we don't sit here and dwell upon the work of others on this podcast very much, I thought, Curve, if you didn't mind, I would. Parse that open letter out a little bit, if you don't mind. Parse ahead. I'm going to start with the first sentence. Colton, I get it. And I'm going to have to say, uh, no, you clearly don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this article, I mean, Kerb, it, uh, and I know you're not a lover of, it, of uh, Formula One, but even you have to be able to kind of see through the premise of this uh, letter, which is he'll be better off, you know, waiting a few years uh, in IndyCar and doing great there and then go into Formula One, then go into Formula One now. In a simple down-home uh, Indiana speak, uh, it's the bird in the hand, right? You, they offer you a Formula One seat now, and you say, no, I'm going to wait a few years, and I'll take one later when I just want to pick one off the shelf. 
and I go over to, to Formula One is the height of folly. And the whole premise of most everything in that open letter was ass backwards. It was painful to read, painful to get all the way through to the end. I was heartened today to see the article about Pato Award uh, saying, uh, hey, anybody tells you they don't want to go to Formula One's line. And I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. Formula One's a young man's game now. You go when you're young, and if you strike out, you can always go back to IndyCar Racing. IndyCar Racing will welcome Colton Herter with open arms for the next 20 years. If he plays last in every Formula One race. Exactly. The world is Colton Herta's oyster. And if Michael Andretti says, I'm going to take you to Formula One and uh, we're going to suck for a year or two. We're going to get better. We're going to go after him. And uh, by the way, I'll pay you a proper Formula One driver's salary. Uh, You take it. If it falls apart on you, you return to America into the warm embrace of the IndyCar community. Curb. There are so many things in this article, and I, 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 there was so much, but but you hit on one of them, which is just blindingly ignoring, is the money. Right. I mean, who, what parent would tell their child, uh, you know what, don't, don't take those millions of dollars now when you're young, right? Why don't you wait a few years before you accept those millions and millions of dollars? Because completely ignores the most – you know, fundamental thing of this is that he is going to get paid way more money. You know, so you only need a couple of years in Formula One and you're set for life. You know, some would argue a year in Formula One, but let's say, you know, for Colton, he's not he's not there. So let's just say a couple few years getting paid Formula One salaries for drivers. Hey, he's set for life. This article, of course, completely ignores that points that are just unbelievable, like. Do you think anybody will even care if you beat Valerie Boltes as your teammate? The answer to that is absolutely. I mean, if Total Wolf sees a, a, a driver that he knows very well up and down, right? And Botas for, you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, he's he's a well-known entity now and certainly has, you know, outqualified Lewis Hamilton on several occasions and so forth. And didn't, didn't you know, he win the most recent Formula winners? Yeah, won races and all that kind of thing. But the point is. Uh, he's a very good driver, okay? Is he in the uh, Verstappen-Hamilton class? No. But if you beat him on the same team, right, if you beat right. him, that sure. is going to be noticed by somebody, uh, a good team. That, so that's always the first step in Formula 1, right? But, but, you know, the premise of the article, like, oh, even if you beat him, that's no big deal. Let Go me ahead. take on the other premise, which is stay over here in IndyCar and win a bunch of races and win an Indy 500 because, you know, it's – it's just as simple as saying it. You're so good that you'll win these things. It's a given. Number two, let Michael Andretti go over there and beat his head against the ball for two or three years. And and if he's successful in getting his team up to you know competitive snuff with the top teams in Formula One, then you can saunter over there and just hop in the car and take over. Even a Colton Herta or any high-level driver would benefit from a year or two uh, pound of the pavement in Formula One. So they're ready when the equipment's ready to actually take on the challenge. And by the way, I get paid that salary you were talking about earlier. Yeah. There's some comical references in this article as well where he talks about uh, Rossi and Grosjean as if they had a choice to stay in Formula One. You know, they chose to come to IndyCar and look what happened to them. And I have to say, I mean, <laughs> which is comical. And then you have to say in Rossi's case, OK, he had that he won that 500. But, you know, last few years been a bit slim, haven't they? Last couple anyways. But remember how much grief Rossi caught for not actually caring when he first got here? Because he was, you know, wanted to go back to Formula One there. And when he won the 500, oh, my God, now he's uh, 
celebrity, he'll go back to Formula One. You know, it's, that was the big concern. The fact is, nobody still wanted him in Formula One at that point. This is almost unheard of that a young American driver is even getting this opportunity. If, if it comes up, you grab a hold of that. I don't care if you it's with the worst team or the, instead of the second worst team on the grid, you go. And by the way, one of the drivers for the worst team on the grid, guess where he's going next year? Mercedes. This 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 whole premise of this article is it's a piece of garbage. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, for a guy that's supposedly or for a <clears throat> a sentient being that supposedly is you know all about the welfare of of drivers and I I can accept a little bit of IndyCar you know rooting and all that but th- this I think Colton Herta going to uh, Formula One would be a shot in the arm for IndyCar as well. Possibly. I mean, it can't hurt. Nothing. None of it can hurt. Right. doesn't matter whether Colton Hurt is in the field next year at IndyCar. Right. I mean, better if he is. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll have a full field. There'll be good drivers, blah, 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 blah. But it will matter if Colton Herta is in Formula One and, and, and showing himself uh, well. You know, the days of like IndyCar challenging Formula One for supremacy are, are long since gone. Right. There was there was a an article over the summer I think they interviewed a, a, a FIA hotshot and they said well do you see an American driver coming into to Formula One soon because you know the success you're having with Drive to Survive and Netflix and Coda he said no I don't really see that now for maybe at least a couple of years off and the the implication was that there's nobody over there in IndyCar that would be worthy of racing in Formula One but maybe. Couple of these Americans that are in the the, the Formula One feeder series, it'd be a nice uh, middle finger to that guy <laughs> if uh, if Colton Herta could go over there and show him something. Yeah, I agree. So uh, for all those reasons, I go back again. It's Liberty Media's wet dream, right? You get a yes. second race in America. They want to make inroads in America. I might even watch if Colton Herta's racing in Formula One next year, and uh, that's what they want. That's what they're trying to do, and that would be a perfect fit for them at this. So obvious of a no-brainer, I can't imagine. But anyways. As you say, it may not be done, but they uh, supposedly are going to be talking seriously about it next week. So my question is this, because uh, another sentient being, sentient being wrote an article a few weeks ago, and among his comments was that the youth movement in IndyCar needs to be embraced by the series, and and that youth movement needs to be marketed and made made stars out of those people. Uh, on the level of maybe not your top line NASCAR star, but at least your second tier NASCAR star. Otherwise, IndyCar is going to struggle to ever gain any traction. And uh, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. Well, my question is, how can they do that when their schedule is so short, there's so few events, and the schedule that they do have is so inconsistent and has uh, large gaps whenever anything uh, semi-important crosses NBC schedule. Well, I mean, those are all hurdles, but I wouldn't call them barricades. How does how does IndyCar break through and make stars out of Colton Herta or Alexander Rossi or Pato Award, Alex Palau, when they just don't seem to be able to sustain a news cycle? Curb, is that a question, or are you going to allow me to answer it? The, the floor is yours. Okay. Because you seem to be asking the question and answering it with more questions at the same time. Sorry. But that's okay. It's okay. Free-flowing uh, format here. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. I agreed. All those things you mentioned, definitely hurdles. I don't think they're unstoppable, un- impenetrable walls, but they're hurdles. 
I think I mentioned to you, and I know you watched it as well. I watched the Schumacher documentary mm-hmm. the other day, and I think that was to me a great example. I, by the way, I couldn't even finish it. I, I I grew so bored. And this is a this is a, a a topic which I have some interest in, right? Right. And I grew bored. And I think that it was a really it's a horrible documentary. I, I think um, I know you had some views on it. My views on it were. It, it it was very strange. It's like they kind of focused on young Schumacher, young Schumacher, and then like he finally gets broken and he breaks into Formula One and he does well and then he gets on the right team, and then it's like oh and then he wins five championships or five yeah, you know, whatever how many world it's championships. It's just a lot of years, yeah. It's just like oh and then he went on to win five or six world championships. Moving on, right? You right. know, it was like all this build up and then like and so that was really strange, right? It was also, and, you know, it was also strange how much time they spent on uh, Ayrton Senna in a documentary about Michael Schumacher. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you can't get away from Senna anymore, right? It's just everywhere. Yeah, and then at the end, I didn't finish it, Curb. So you know, it, you're kind of like seeing like they're oh they're gonna give you the bombshell at the end, you know, maybe just a picture of Michael now or whatever. I mean, that never happened. No. Um, yeah, so I don't know if the the documentary was just too hamstrung by the family as far as what the rules were, and and I look, I don't I don't think you needed that at the end. I mean, it could have just been about his career and how he did it, and you know, there's a lot of controversy in his winning those championships that were just completely ignored. So I just think you know they could have shifted the focus of the documentary away from that, but it seemed like they kind of waded in but didn't go very deep at all, and and that was that. So. Uh, and like I said, I totally respect somebody's privacy and, and all that. They earned all that, right? My point is that was terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a warning to IndyCar that their version of, of Drive to Survive, what we call on the show Drive to Survive for Less, has to be compelling. You know, it, it can't just be content. It has to be compelling content, right? right. And if, you, if, you ju- if they just serve up some content without it being compelling – like this podcast, for example, I edit out an enormous amount of non-compelling content, <laughs> right? But, but uh, I'm, I'm, I like to think, and maybe I'm in dream world, that what's left is maybe a tiny bit compelling. But if they, if they just serve up a bunch of content and don't make it compelling, um, which I thought Drive to Survive does do a pretty good job of, uh, it's going to be horrible. And I think the answer to your question, I'm really going all around the houses to answer your question, is that's how it's done. It's with a show like that and others that deliver up compelling content about the sport and the players in the sport. Sesame Street version of IndyCar that we've had for a number of years now where everybody's friends and nobody hates each other is going to change. Well, I don't, I don't know if it needs a tremendous amount of conflict. I think, uh, you know, str- I mean, there's, there's storylines going into next year. There's Jimmy Johnson's second season. You know, there's several drivers. I mean, I, I see a Rossi Elio conflict perhaps occurring. You know, uh, if Colton Herta stays in uh, with Andretti, Autosport, and IndyCar, kind of the battle for supremacy between him and Rossi to be top driver and Grosjean uh, thrown in the mix there. That's an interesting storyline. Penske dropping to three cars. Uh, Scotty M's, you know, struggle to get to parity with the other two. You know, I think there's enough stories out there without it turning into, you know, Jerry Springer show. 
Herb, um, I know, I know you, I know you were chomping at the beak to do this. Uh, a little uh, Danica news this week. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Going to be uh, commentating. Got a new commentating gig. What in the world is she going to add to a Formula One broadcast? Oh my God, absolutely nothing. She's look. I I don't know why they keep people keep hiring her. She's she was awful I, I, at the five hundred. I, I guess she, she has was good awful at SRX. I mean, just universally condemned at SRX, and it's like, boom, we're gonna give her another job. She must have a good agent. She must, and this is be the third network she's been on. Is this gonna be on the ESPN broadcast or on yeah, something yeah, else? Yeah, it's well, ABC. ABC is live broadcasting. Coda. Really? She's been on CBS, ABC, and NBC all this year. Kudos to her agent for doing a good job for her. Did you see the picture of her in the that went all, uh, accompanied a certain article I saw? No, I did not. Some furrows coming in on young Danica. Look in the mirror, old man. Look in the mirror. I do. I do daily. Curb, we've talked several times on this uh, podcast vis-a-vis uh, the, the IndyCar race at Texas Motor Speedway. I sent you an article today that uh, I don't know when it was written, a uh, local article there talking about the plans to reduce uh, to reduce, you know, from 100,000 seats to a 70,000 uh, seat speedway yeah, because they, they literally just can't can't fill the seats anymore. Racing, attending races is just in a general decline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we've talked about you know how poor the IndyCar racing is because of this F stuff that they're JP1 or whatever it's called that they're putting up there that makes it impossible to to go, to run the outside line and therefore basically makes it a very narrow one one lane race at the uh, at Texas which we'd all at this point like see or at least I would like see Texas go away if they can't fix that problem. But mm-hmm. you mentioned to me the other day you watched the uh, NASCAR race there and had some had some thoughts and I was just curious what those were. But uh, I really didn't think the crowd for the NASCAR race yesterday was much bigger than the crowd for the IndyCar races there in recent years. And Which I'm would sure, be twenty to thirty thousand people. Yeah, I'm sure they've got more campers and that kind of thing. But when you looked at the stands, it, it was it was better, but wasn't a whole lot better than the IndyCar race, which I was kind of surprised to see. The other observation was that. Those NASCAR cars are never down in the low groove that the Indy cars use. They they race in the second and third grooves, all up in the PJ1, and uh, and never seem to come down off of it unless they're wrecking. Well, if what you're saying is true and the NASCAR uh, attendance is dropping like it is to that degree, I mean, I've kind of given up hope on Texas because they figure whatever NASCAR wants, they're going to get, and they want that goop on the surface. You can only hope that before IndyCar's stick gets a little bit bigger, if their crowds are relatively bigger relative to the NASCAR crowds, uh, that you could, you know, maybe insist on a few things. But uh, that's probably all just wishful thinking. Yeah, I do think it's interesting because in NASCAR schedules going forward, um, on the one hand, I think present a bit of danger for IndyCar because they're, they're expanding into markets that IndyCar's found their niche because NASCAR avoided them. Now they're moving into some of IndyCar's territories. So, A, that's a concern as an IndyCar fan. But, B, I wonder if there are some opportunities created by all these tracks that are losing NASCAR races the last couple of years. I think they're all kind of fighting for a smaller pie. 
right? They're praying for pieces of a smaller pie and and uh, they're all reaching out trying new things to do and it's going to be a bit of a, a battle, I think. Curb, um, I'd like to close with, I thought something we do in the off season is just kind of focus briefly on a driver, talk about the season he had and the upcoming season and what was going to be important for that person to to do or not do. Are you game for that, Curb? Sure, sure. Go ahead. And I, I obviously we're not going to be able to get into the entire field before the season starts up again. But I thought, you know, uh, we'll pick some of the ones that might be more interesting. So I thought for today we'd start off with um, Marcus Erickson. Marcus Erickson, who's um, uh, just turned 30, I believe. You know, when I go back and look at the season uh, that Marcus had, I mean, there's a couple of things that stick out, right? He, one is he had a couple of wins, right? I mean, that's very significant. Two yeah. wins in a, in a second. In a second. However, when you go and look at his work over the years, the the one thing that – there's two things to me that stuck out, Curb, and one is that his starting positions are not particularly great. A lot of double digits in the in those starting positions, and then the other interesting thing to me is is that uh, his laps led for a guy who won two races and placed second and won. His laps led are next, you know, are very very low. Right. Uh, Forty five laps the entire season, and thirty seven of those were at the uh, memorable Nashville race. Certainly uh, benefited from the good fortune at the Belle Isle race for his first win. I think he's got to feel good about Nashville in the sense that it, it was it was man to man him and Herta for the last I don't know what it was thirty laps of the race or something. Curve, I don't want to you know put too fine a point on it, but what, what wasn't Ryan Hunter Ray and Hinchcliffe like second and third? They were up there somewhere. I, mm-hmm. It was the best race of the year for those guys. But yeah, you know my point. Herta dispatched those guys with ease and got right onto the back of uh, Erickson, and Erickson didn't flinch. He didn't make a mistake. Okay. He, uh, he, okay. he, he, he held him off fair and square. Okay, yeah. So I think we, we look back on Barkas's, uh, uh year and say, hey, you know what? Pretty good, right? You know? From the first race of Belle Isle that he won to the last race where he crashed out, he was in the top 10 every race, um, however many races in a row that is. It looks like at least eight or nine races in a row, consecutive top 10s. Up until that crash at Long Beach, he had completed all but one lap. Uh, on the season so he was certainly having a good consistent year okay good consistent year however (laughs) i think looking forward curb i mean i think you'll probably agree with me i mean the first thing he has to do is qualify better sure this is the first driver we we, uh, profiled but i'm pretty sure we're going to be able to say that about a lot of them i mean the reality is if if erickson is going to put himself into the conversation about title contenders, which I think at this point, Ganassi and his sponsors and everybody else, this is what's going to be expected next year. Doesn't, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you're really good, but you're just not the best and we want the best. Questions as to, you know, if he if, if he can ever get up there. So I think next year is the year. So I, I would say this is a very high pressure year for him coming up. Well, this is his second year with Ganassi. Uh, we'll, we'll forget that first year with Arrow. Average qualifying position in 2020 was 13.1. He improved to 12.2 this year. Average finish in uh, 2020 was 12.1, I believe. And he improved that to 9.1 this year. 
Like if he can get off to a little better start this year, or 2022, there's no reason he can't compete for the championship with his teammates and uh, anybody else that's up there. It's hard to see that happening, though, isn't it, Curb? Or do you feel like that's going to happen? I think it's possible. I mean, the team he's with, you can be cynical about Formula One guys that didn't have the best equipment and end up getting shuffled out of the series and end up over here in IndyCar. But you don't get to Formula One without some kind of ability unless you're the son of a Russian, you know, mobster or something. Talented team. He's made steady progress in his three years here in IndyCar. And there's no reason to think that he can't compete for the championship next year if he can eliminate a couple of his weaker runs and uh, stay in the top 10 consistently next year like he did this year. So, Curb, what you're saying is when we do our picks next year, you're going to pick Erickson in the top five. He's going to be one of your top five picks. Well, I'm not ready to go that far out on the limb yet. I'm just Mm. saying there's no reason Mm. for him to shoot any lower. Well, I mean, everybody's shooting for the top. The question is who can get there. And what I'm saying is I don't think you'll be picking no Marcus Erickson in no top five come pick so when you're going to time put your money where your mouth is i'm not sure it's going to be there now you can prove me wrong but i'm not so sure it's going to be there yeah colton hurt is not going to be around anymore next year so you know there's one <laughs> one uh competitor out of the way uh before i bid final adieu curb uh at hero h-i-r-o indycar is the twitter feed at hero indycar is our twitter feed for god's sake Follow us. We're going to we're going to try and prove our social media standing over the break here um, as soon as I find time to do that, which so far I haven't. Um, but we'll we'll make a go of it. But, uh, yes, start with Twitter. Mm-hmm. Even if you hated the show, just follow us anyways. Uh, do, you, do we have any sponsors left on the show? South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Ask for Saul. He'll give you a steep discount. Deep discount on your meal if you mention this podcast. All right, Curb. Take care, everybody. Enjoy uh, all the Formula One content the next few weeks till we resume again to talk about IndyCar. Ha ha. We'll end it on that. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.